welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. My name's Chad. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're going to continue our series entitled Do Something. Do Something is a short-term campaign to launch a long-term strategy to end extreme poverty. Now, I know that sounds big, that sounds bold, but that's how great our God is. Our God has called us and given us the resources to do just that, end extreme poverty. I came to faith when I was about 18 years old. And prior to that, I lived a fairly rambunctious lifestyle. I thought that kind of being the life of the party was what you needed to do in order to, to be somebody. And I was kind of looking for love in all the wrong places, as the country song goes. And I was, and I was looking for love. And then I met Christ, this, this God that loves us just as we are and not as we should be. And I experienced God's forgiveness, and it changed me. It was really the happiest day of my life to experience the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And shortly after my conversion experience, I started to study the scriptures. Like many of you, I started Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I focused on the book of Matthew. And in my study of the book of Matthew, I noticed that God had this just tremendous concern for the poor, that Jesus was always interacting with people of poverty. His first words were, I've got good news for the poor. He was even born in a barn. I mean, this, this God came down and became a baby, born in a manger. He lived a life of poverty with no place to lay his head. And he was always interacting with people of poverty. He was feeding the hungry, right? Over and over again, he's feeding thousands and thousands of people. He, he's healing the sick. Everywhere he's going, he's healing people. He has this great concern for people living in poverty. And, he's, and he tells his disciples to do the same. He says, whatever you do to the least of these brothers of mine, whatever you do to those that are hungry or thirsty or need, you do unto me. See, early on in my faith, I, I, I saw this connection between salvation, this forgiveness of our sins, and participation in God's concern for the world. There was no hole in the gospel. There was this understanding that God saved me, forgiven me, he forgave me of our sins, and then enabled us to participate in God's redemptive work in the world. And and at this early age, I started to feed the hungry. I started to visit prisoners. I started to welcome refugees to participate in God's work of compassion in the world. And then after I graduated from college, I I got my first job. I I started working at World Relief, and I made $13,000 a year. Now, that may not sound too encouraging for those college parents out there. But that was my first job. And it wasn't even a real job. Actually, I was a full-time volunteer. And I was working in Chicago among refugees, and I had them live in my apartment, and I tried to help them find a job and learn English and, and kind of get their feet. I recruited other churches and college students to help in, in this work, to help those that are coming into our country with less than nothing to kind of rebuild. In fact, the work that I did in, in my early 20s was written in a book called A Heart for the City. And I was asked to write a chapter in this book. I was edited by John Feuder. And, and it was this great work. I was 28 years old, and I was doing this great work of compassion. And as I was uh, in this process of participating in God's heart for the world, I tried to discern, hey, God, what might you have for me next? You know, we, we, we did this little chapter, and we, we were working in the city of Chicago. And uh, I, I, I sensed this little whisper from God. And whenever you hear a whisper, whenever you hear a prompting, whenever you hear the voice of God speaking to your life, you've got to pay attention. Because the more you pay attention to that prompting, the more you'll be able to hear it in the future. And I heard this little whisper as I was trying to discern as a a 28-year-old what God might be having me to do next, whether that was to continue doing this work of compassion with world relief. I heard this little whisper. It was something like this. He says, Chad, I don't want you to help a church alleviate suffering worldwide. I want you to be part of a church. I want you to pastor a church. I want you to lead a church to be a church of compassion. 
And for the last 10 years in, 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 in my adult pastoral ministry, I said, you know what, God, I want to just honor that. I want to help people go on mission trips. I want to help them get connected to people of poverty. I want us to do things like give up our shoes like we did last year or participate in feeding the hungry with uh, impact lives or, or to do team world vision and, and, and to do types of works of compassion. And I know many of you have a similar desire. Many of you have that understanding of God's heart for the world. And you give and you participate and you are involved in God's work of compassion around the world. And, and, and I'm so thankful for the works that we've been doing as a church here at Maple Grove Covenant Church. But I recently hung out with a guy this past summer, a guy by the name of Dr. Scott Todd. And uh, he's got this new organization called Live 58. And he gave this presentation at a conference that I was at, and, and it just shook me up. It just challenged my understanding of poverty and God's heart for the world. He gave some of the sort of the, the, the typical statistics that you might hear, 1.4 billion people in the world living on less than $1.25 a day. He talked about the 884 million people that don't have access to clean water. He mentioned the 22,000 children that die every day of preventable diseases, that, that if had those preventable you know, vaccines, that they could live healthy lives. He gave these sort of challenging but familiar Statistics, and then he gave some numbers that I, I'd never heard before. Numbers that I didn't expect to hear, and numbers that challenged my understanding of God's heart for the world and this work of compassion that God's called us to be part of. And in a minute, we're going to hear some of those numbers. I just want to review a little bit of what we talked about last week. If you remember last week, we heard the voice of Jesus. Jesus spoke to the crowd. He says, You are the light of the world. He says, God has placed you in your home, in your family, in this church, in this world to illuminate God's presence and power in the world. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That Jesus doesn't want us to just believe something, believe that he's the Messiah. He doesn't want us to just pray something, the sinner's prayer. He doesn't want us to just think good thoughts about the future. He wants us to do something. He wants us to do something before men, not before God, not alone in our prayer closet, not alone in our Bible reading, but before men, that people would see the good work that his church is doing and say, wow, there is a great God. Wow, there is a God worthy of praise. They're doing a work that acknowledges a God that cares for everyone, particularly the hurting and the hungry. And this week... We want to get a little more specific. This week, we want to look at some of these statistics, some of these numbers, some of these ways that I was challenged and our leadership team and staff was challenged by this this presentation by Dr. Todd Scott. He's an immunologist. Uh, He's he's a very bright and passionate guy. He started this this, uh, organization called Live 58, the film that uh, we've been referencing the last couple weeks. And uh, he, he gave this talk, and I'd just like us to, to take a minute to hear it this morning, and then I'm going to build off that as we continue to look at the passage, Isaiah 58. So let's look at Dr. Tosca. The biggest reason the poor are still with us is simply this. We expect that they should be. I mean, I wonder if we lack the imagination, if we lack the hope that the world could be dramatically different. The good news is we can be released from the tyranny of our low expectations. We can be free from that lie that the future will somehow be like our past. The truth is, extreme global poverty can be overthrown by our generation. 
but maybe you're a realist. You're a little skeptical. I mean, you may believe that it's possible in theory, but you kind of doubt that it could be accomplished anytime soon. I mean, the statistics are overwhelming. 164,000 children died of measles in a single year. 881,000 people were killed by malaria. 1.4 billion people struggle to live in extreme poverty. That's surviving on less than $1.25 per day. But you know, measles doesn't kill people. Malaria doesn't kill people. A lack of food or clean water, they don't kill people. Even most natural disasters, they rarely kill people. There is one single killer responsible for all of these deaths. Extreme poverty. Poverty is the difference between a $5 latte with an extra shot or a $5 shot that will protect a child from dying of measles. Poverty is the difference between an earthquake in Los Angeles killing 63 people and an earthquake of similar magnitude in Haiti killing 220,000 people. Wherever poverty has a stronghold, the statistics are grim. Here is the astounding truth. The tyranny of extreme poverty is being broken. In the past eight years, the number of kids dying from measles has dropped by 78%. 22 countries have cut their malaria rate in half, and they did it in only six years. You know, we used to say that 40,000 children die every day from preventable causes. In the 90s, that number dropped from 40,000 to 33,000 per day. And in 2008, it dropped again to 24,000. And now we're down to 21,000. We cut that number in half in a generation. I'd like to take you back 200 years to 1810. We had an average lifespan of 30 years, and almost all of us were living in extreme economic poverty, but things begin to change. Industrialization starts to happen in Europe, and, and the economies are growing, and as they're making more money, they're able to secure more quality food, and they're living longer, they're living healthier. And in that time, we discover electricity, and we invent the automobile, and airplanes, and vaccines, and soon the rest of the world is following. And as you look across that whole span of time, you see this momentum the sense that we are heading somewhere. Even those countries that we look at today and think, oh, it's just not possible. They are all following this path out of extreme poverty and into a new place. You remember that massive number that I gave you earlier, the number of people living in extreme poverty, 1.4 billion? Well, listen to this. I mean, if you're only gonna remember one set of numbers from all this stuff I'm telling you, remember this, 52 to 26 and 26 to go. In 1981, 52% of the world's population lived in extreme poverty. Today, that number is 26%. We've cut the percentage of people living in extreme poverty in half, and we did it in a generation. If that's what the generation before ours did, just imagine what our generation can do. There are 138 million Christians in America who attend church regularly and say their faith is very important to them. Collectively, we earn $2.5 trillion per year. We would be the seventh richest country in the world. If we were a country, we'd have a seat at the G8. God has given us amazing wealth and influence. The question is, what are we going to do with it? What could we do with it? You know, in Isaiah 58, we find God's people. They are trying, now they're begging to receive blessings from the Lord but they're exploiting their workers and they're fighting with each other. They're bickering and they're complaining that their sacrifices haven't, haven't been noticed by God and that their fasting has, has been overlooked. 
But Isaiah, the prophet, he steps into that and he says, you want God to honor your sacrifices? Well, this is what you need to do. It's time to loose the chains of injustice. It's time to set the oppressed free. I believe the message of Isaiah 58 is the same message that we need to hear again today. No more idle words. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. It's time for authentic action. Let's stop performing out of religious habits and start living the life we were called to. The poor will not always be with us. We do not need to live in a world where children die from preventable diseases. Extreme poverty and all the suffering it brings can be pushed into the history books. And God has given us the mandate and every resource that we need to accomplish that task. He has entrusted us with money, with knowledge, with influence, and with a brief amount of time on this earth, a brief amount of time in which to make a difference. Ending extreme poverty is our generation's greatest opportunity to join the ranks of those who fought for the end of the slave trade, to stand with those who worked for equal rights in the generations before ours. And we are asking you to join this march, not because you need to, not from duty, not out of guilt, not with any reluctance, but because you want to, because you were made for this. Poverty has a solution. It is the true fast of Isaiah 58. When we fast, we give up something good for the sake of something great. Like giving up food in order to focus on prayer. What fast will you choose? Go to live58.org and choose your fast. Commit to your strategy in the great cause of ending poverty. We can end poverty. We can fast. We can give. We can do something to end poverty forever. I love that number, 52 to 26 and 26 to go. 52% of the world's population lived in extreme poverty. Cut that down to 26. We got 26 to go. If we keep pace with the previous generation, we can end extreme poverty poverty. We watched this clip as a leadership team. We watched this clip as a staff and everyone present said the exact same thing. Let's do something. Let's do something together to end extreme poverty. Let's participate in God's heart of compassion for the poor. So we began to pray. We began to fast. We began to think. We created this do something team. Some of them are here today. They're wearing their do something t-shirts. And we started to think, hey, what could we do? And we started to solicit ideas and questions and observations from you as a congregation. What might we be able to do as a church to end extreme poverty? And what I find fascinating about this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 58, this passage that that we've heard about over the last week and then again this morning, is how practical God is, how personal God's voice is on this direction to end poverty extreme poverty. There's nothing abstract about God's words. Let me just reread this word from Isaiah 58 verse 6. This is God speaking to his people. He says this, is not this the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is this not the kind 
of fast? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. Yes, this is the kind of fast. Yes, this is the kind of life I want you to live as a follower of God. It's to loose the chains of injustice. It's to untie the cords. It's to break the yoke. It's very active. It's very active participation. It gets your hands dirty. It gets your feet wet. It's get, get in there and start, start working this good work to alleviate poverty. It's even progressive. God says, first of all, I want you to loose the chains. And then I want you just not to loose them. I want you to break them. I want you to break every social structure. I want you to break every system that keeps people in poverty. I want you to break every yoke that causes people to live in poverty. And then God says this in verse 7. He says this. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood, share your food with those who don't have anything to eat. A more literal translation would be this. Serve the hungry. Don't just give your money to those that can't eat. Don't just give your money to the people to feed those. I want you to go down to where the people are and I want you to wait on them. I want you to put some sort of apron around your, your waist. And I want you to have a conversation. I want you to get to know them. I want you to serve the people food. I want you to get personally involved. I, I just don't want you to give. I want you to touch them. I want you to have conversations with them. I want you to open up your home and invite people into your home. I want you to, to get involved. I want you, when you see somebody naked that doesn't have enough clothes to wear, I want you to go into your closet, look at some of the extra clothes that you have, and then go and give that person some clothes to wear. I want you to get personally involved, practically speaking. I want you to help those in need. I want you to get your hands dirty. I want you to get your feet wet. I want you to get involved in the ending of extreme part. I want you to do something. This is the kind of fast that God has called us to live. This is the kind of life that God has called us to live, to be personally involved in the needs of the poor. And then the prophet declares, then your light will shine. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. As you respond to those in need, then you will radiate God's presence and power in the world. Then you will experience God's power and presence in your life. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry for help, He will say, Here am I. As you live a life of righteousness, as you care for the hurting and the hungry, your relationship with God will be so intimate. You'll cry out to Him and He'll respond, Here am I. And your healing will appear. God's glory, God's presence and power will be revealed in your life. Now, does anyone remember who first quoted this passage of Scripture as it relates to us today living the Christian life? It was long before Dr. Todd Scott said these words. And then remember who might have quoted this passage of Scripture as it relates to what it means to follow Jesus. Anyone want to guess who that might be? answer is always Jesus when the pastor asks you these questions. You know, it's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus said these words. And in Matthew chapter 25, he says this, then the king will say to those on his right, then the king will say to those that are living this righteous life, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me something 
to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes and you closed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 40, then the king will reply, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. See, God identifies so closely with the hurting and the hungry that to minister to them is to minister to him. To love those he loves is to love him. Whatever you do to the least of these brothers of mine, you do for me. See, this call of compassion is central to the teachings of Jesus. This call to go and be people that help the hurting, the clothe, the naked, the feed, the hungry is exactly what God calls us to do as followers of Christ. It's not some add-on. It's not something when you have, that you do when you have time. It's not, it's not something that you think about when you get a little bit of extra money. This is what it means. This is how we participate. This is God's invitation for all of us to live as children of the light to live out this fast of Isaiah 58, to participate in God's redemptive work in the world, to experience God's presence and power in our lives. Whatever you do to the least of these brothers of mine, you do to me. God identifies so closely with the hurting and the hungry that to minister to them is to minister to Him. To love those He loves is to love Him. That's how we live out our faith. It's by living a life of compassion. I'd like to invite Scott Grant up here. Scott Grant is a member of our leadership team, and uh, he had a chance to watch this film that we, this little film that we watched uh, a few minutes ago. And as a leadership team, we've been talking and discussing and trying to figure out what might God be calling us to do. And I just asked Scott to come on up here. I wanted to ask him a couple of conversations, a couple of uh, questions about uh, his decision to uh, participate in this true fast of Isaiah 58. I think it's already on. And, uh, and uh, so, Scott, you watched this film uh, a couple of months ago. What was your initial reaction? You know, I think it, um, it, it sort of blended a bunch of things. It was just sadness and um, just feeling awful and overwhelmed um, for those individuals and for everyone living in extreme poverty. And then it was embarrassment that... As a fairly educated member of society, I, I wasn't aware of the significance of the need. It was really abstract. And then just sort of convicted and kind of convicted and inspired at the same time. Um, convicted that I hadn't done anything and inspired to do something, both by just the need and it was presented by sort of the connection to Scripture and the call all of us have um, to respond. Great, right, thank you. So you watched it and then we talked about it as a leadership team and then uh, and then you decided to do something. What was your response then to this invitation to fast? Well, you told me I had to fast. That's um, true. No. That's true. Um, in in never, addition to that. Yeah, so we'll forget that. Uh, I have had a uh, lifelong and intimate relationship with soda in my life. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a long, long-standing partnership. Close, close friendship. Yeah, we're yeah. very close. Um, and uh, I chose to give up soda. Soda pop. Soda pop. All right. And, and I say soda, everyone else says pop. I don't know why. Okay. So you decided to give soda pop. And if I remember right, when you told your wife, Kendra, that she almost had to sit down. She was alarmed. Yes, she was, she was alarmed. Yeah. She's <laughs> been trying to force that same behavior for more than a decade. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so this relationship with soda pop, um, 
Yeah. Started a long time ago. A really long time ago. In fact, if I remember right, you had your senior picture taken with a. And I want to thank my wife for that. Oh yeah. So uh, that is just a great picture. Awesome? Look at that guy. I tell you what, slick, cool. 80s, just a little more of that mullet showing, I tell you, that's just beautiful. Oh, that's just great, isn't it? But you got a soda pop right in your hand. Yeah, there. so my family has a, a long-standing relationship with soda as well, so much so that my brother, sister, dad, and I each had a different um, location that we turned the tab because Coke was so prevalent in our house, so you knew whose was whose. Um, there was a time in my life when I drank maybe six or seven of those a day. Yeah. yeah. That's really a lot. good for you. <laughs> so... Um, so you decided to give up soda pop yeah. as a way to participate in this true fast, to give up something, I don't know if I can say good, no, but good to give up something that you used to drink in order to participate in something great. Yes. So how's that been going? It's been going uh, remarkably well. Um, I work, uh, the nature of my work is I'm, I'm in coffee shops, I'm in restaurants a lot. And so um, it's, it's one thing to get rid of it in the house, which we didn't do, but I still managed to avoid it. It's another thing to constantly be in the presence of this lifelong partner of mine and, and, and not partake. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, but it's been very good. Yeah. So as you're interacting with a business client or as you're in a coffee shop doing some work, instead of grabbing a Coke, you're, you're grabbing water. water yeah. and, um, and so it's almost like a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder. That's what's cool about it for me is it's, you know, many, many, many times a day I went to the proverbial well for soda and so it's a great great thing to, great reminder for me and then also um as evidenced by that lovely photo everyone in my life kind of uh recognized the change um so when i didn't walk into a meeting at 7 a.m with a mountain dew in my hand they were sort of jarred and so that gives me a chance to talk about why um i've given it up as well yeah so it's a, even a conversation starter as a lifestyle change to to say you know i'm, I'm giving up soda pop yeah. in order to participate in, in, in ending extreme poverty. And, right. um, so average dollar amount, you know, kind of at a weekly intake of soda pop? Was yeah, uh, a lot. It's, it's, I estimate, Kendra would know probably more accurately, I estimate, I think it's between 30 and $40 a week. Yeah. And now that's going where? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, being, it's being saved. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, yep. Where it's going from there, I can't, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. So, uh, so you're not quite sure where this, these, this resources are going to go to end extreme poverty. Right. But you're, you're giving up something good. Sort of good. Sort of good, yeah. 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 And, and to participate in something great. Yes. And, and that great thing is, is this Do Something campaign that we're inviting everyone to participate in. And we're at this point in our journey to try to figure out where. We're praying, we're fasting, we're thinking, we're gathering up some resources. We're not quite sure where so then why would you do this if you don't know where the money's going well it sounds horrible to say out loud kind of but in if i think about what christ sacrificed for all of us this is such a minuscule minute sacrifice i can make um, for others for those in need yeah because of the cross yeah because of the sacrifice that jesus made uh, you want to give something yeah. to those that he identifies with the most the hurting and the hungry and that's what this is about. This isn't just about what we do out there. This is what God does in here. And how we can then give up something that would enable us to remind ourselves of what God's doing in the world, what God's heart is for the world, that we can even get our hands dirty a little bit. We can't go to Africa. We can't build a well. But we can give up soda pop. We can personally get involved by giving up something good to participate 
was something great. Would you just give it up for Scott Grand here? That's a little bit about do something. That's a little bit of the conversations that we are having as a church about how God might be calling us to do something. It's deeply personal. It's this invitation to look inside and say, God, what might you be calling me to do to participate in something good, to participate in something great, to let my light shine so that the world might see who you are and your deep concern for everyone, particularly the most vulnerable, those living in extreme poverty, those hurting and hungry and in need of food and clothing, those in need of shelter. You know, the question is still out there. Where will the money go? You know, as we're doing this little campaign, what are we going to do? And I'd just like to do uh, a little bit of an an example, you know, because it is an important question. It's actually a complex answer. How do you actually end extreme poverty? You know, that's a, that's a big question, but we like those types of questions. So I just want to give a, a, just one illustration to help us sort of get an idea of what we might be able to do as a church to end extreme poverty. And I need a volunteer, someone between the ages of about 10 to 15 years old. Anybody willing to come on up, up here? Okay, come on up here. Why don't we have uh, Liney? Liney? Liney, come on up here, and, and uh, you're, you're a little bit closer to... The front there. Okay, so Liney, just as, a, as an illustration here, so how old are you? 15. Okay, so you, you made the cut. Okay, good. Um, so, so Liney, you're, you're, you're 15 years old, and uh, you live here in Maple Grove. And just, just want you to go grab that, uh, that red canister there to see if you can pick that up there. Okay, just go ahead. All right, now, now Liney has in her hand there just about six gallons of water. And... Uh, uh, wondering if uh, if you could just stick that on your head just real quick. Put the. Oh, you don't have to do that. No, I don't want to get you. Oh, you're Sorry, sorry. No, no. Mine, you're willing to do anything. I love that. But uh, but you got about six gallons of water there, and uh, and as you as you may be aware, uh, many people, uh, including the, the the young boy on our on our screen there, is a guy that has to go. He's probably about 10, 15 years old. Has to go and get water. Uh, every day, uh, walking about six miles, seeing about 884 million people around the planet have to get water like that in a container like that and, and carry that home. So I'd just like you to just try walking that uh, down the aisle and, and just see how many times you can pull that off uh, while I talk a, a little bit more. So, so Lina, you just keep walking, okay? And, and, uh, and if you need some help, uh, you just keep walking, okay? All right? So, so while Liney's walking, I just want to draw your attention. So this, this boy on the screen uh, is a typical boy in Africa, a typical guy that, that needs to walk every day, average six miles, just to get water. And the water that he gets, it isn't even that clean. It isn't even that safe. You can just keep going. Thank you, Liney. It isn't even that safe. It, it's, it's just this treacherous, this, you know, it's under the hot African sun. And it's not clean water. And because he has to go walk, he can't go to school. He can't learn to read. He can't learn to write. He can't re- learn how to, to write poems. And, and he can't go to school. And so one idea that we have, or one thing that we could do, is to provide a well into his village. Thank you, Lani. You just keep going. You can keep, if you're too tired, you can sit down. You can, you can sit down. She's going to keep going. 
Okay, that'll be your last lap, all right? So one idea that we could have for someone like Liney, if she was living in Africa, someone exactly like this boy, as he is living in Africa, is to provide a well near his home. So instead of having to walk six miles twice a day to fetch water that's not even that clean, he could just get water near his home. And instead of using that time to fetch water, he could go to school. He can get an education. Why don't you just set it right back up here? He can get an education. Uh, he can learn how to read and write and, 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 and go to school and not have to go fetch water. Let's give it up for Liney. So Liney gets to go to school. Liney doesn't have to fetch water. Liney gets to participate in an educational system and an entire system that kind of works for her to get ahead. This boy doesn't have that system. This boy doesn't have that opportunity. This boy doesn't have any educational resources available to him. So he's got to walk to get water. And one thing that we could do is to get a well. And instead of having him walk, maybe he can provide some resources so we can go to school, get an education, and maybe get a job to provide for his future family. And let's say it's an adult that has to go fetch water. One thing that we could do, it says instead of going to fetch water, we could provide a well. And then maybe a microfinance, a small loan. We can do some microenterprise. We can give you a small loan that you could use to then build a small business so that you could provide for the needs of your family. See, that's just one way that we could end extreme poverty, just the simple things of providing clean water and maybe a small loan or maybe an educational opportunity so people can get themselves out of living in extreme poverty. See, that's what we're thinking about. That's what we're dreaming about. That's what we're asking God to do among us, to let us think, let us pray, let us do something to participate in your heart for the world. This isn't our idea. This is God's idea. In your heart for the world. To join the movement to end extreme poverty. A friend of mine had a chance to go to Africa. He and actually, he and I went together on a vision trip. And we were in Mozambique. And while we were there, he's a, he's a retired businessman. And while we were there, he got an idea. He says, he, he saw this little chicken uh, farms, little chicken industry says, what if we expanded that chicken business to the whole supply chain? What if we owned that whole supply chain and were able to provide jobs for people? So he took this little chicken business and he, he, he helped organize the incubation process and then the raising of the chickens and the feeding of the chickens and the killing of the chickens, then the delivery and packaging of the chickens, and then also to get them into the stores for the selling of the chickens, the whole supply line, the whole supply chain. And uh, over the last five years from this initial vision trip that we had about seven years ago, he and his friends were able to give jobs to over 5,000 people living in Africa. It was an, it's an amazing work. In fact, it was featured in The Economist not that long ago of this great work that one individual along with a handful of other people did to provide jobs using microfinance in, in this whole supply line to lift people out of poverty. It is within reach. In fact, my buddy isn't so excited about these 5,000 jobs as the individual lives that are changed. He, he went back to Africa uh, recently, and uh, he, he tells me the story how he met this one woman about three years ago, and she was in desperate poverty. She, she, she was just emaciated, couldn't provide for the needs of her family, was just, you know, just in a horrible situation. She got a small loan to start this chicken raising. And she started raising her chickens, and it was going so well that she would sell her chickens to other people. And then she would earn a little income, and then she got some seed. 
And then she would not only use the seed for her own chickens, but she would sell the seeds to others as they were raising their chickens. So she had a chicken business and then a seed business. And then when my friend went back to visit her, he was, she was telling her uh, about all these things, the chicken business and the seed business. And then he noticed there was this block building in the center of her village, all these mud brick homes around, but this one block building. And he says, well, what, what's the block building for? And she says, well, that's my seed business. That's where I keep my seeds. It's this nice building, the only block building in the village. And he says, well, where'd you get the blocks? And then she pointed over the hill and she says, oh, I started a block business too. That's what happens. That's what happens with a little bit of capital that, that moves a chicken business to a seed business to a block business. And all of a sudden, this community is lifted. You don't teach someone how to fish or even give them fish for a day. You change the fishing industry. You, you participate in this work of compassion that, that lifts people out for themselves. See, that's one thing that we could do. We're not exactly sure what we're going to do, but we're praying. We're fasting. We're asking every single one of us to participate in God's heart for the world. To, to join in this movement, to give up something good, to participate in something great. To give up soda pop. I'm fasting, you know, one day a week. I'm giving up food in order to give something to an extreme poverty. In fact, me and my family and I, we're doing other things to give up something to join this movement. Because in our lifetime, we could put an end to extreme poverty. And that's motivating. That's exciting. And as a church, we want to do that. Now, as a church, as we've been processing what God might be calling us to do, we've looked through a couple ideas, and I just want to share a couple, and then we'll close. One idea is I could all say, hey, everybody here join Live 58. Go to the website, pick a fast, pick something, and do it. And that would be a good thing to do. But that's not what we think do something is. Although we encourage you to try looking on that website, that's not, I don't think, what God's expecting of us. Another thing that we could do is we could shout out a couple of other interesting and, and great other organizations. We could point you to Africa Works, or we could point you to Operation Mobilization, or Operation World. We could point you to... Uh, compassion or world vision and say, hey, these are some great organizations, some of which you guys are already a part of. Go and do that. But that's not exactly what do something is. Do something is this idea that maybe if we pooled our resources together and we picked a particular place in the world that was impoverished and we worked with some local partners and some local leaders to end extreme poverty together. It's this short-term shout-out for this long-term relationship in this particular part of the world to end extreme poverty forever. And that's what we want to do. We know we can't do everything, but we can all do something. And that's something that we sense the Spirit of God leading us to do is to pool our resources together. To, to choose a particular place on the planet that's impoverished, to, to work alongside some local believers, some local leaders, to let them solve their own problems, but to give them a little push, give them a little kick, give them some resources so they can end the challenges that they face in their part of the world. And we're inviting you, we're inviting everyone to let your light shine, to participate in this good work. In your program, you'll notice that you have this little card and I introduced the card last week, but the card is simply an invitation to do something. Now, what, what, what Scott wrote on his card, he says, I'm going to give up. I will give up soda pop. 
for whatever length of time you discern. It's between you and God. And I'm going to pledge to give. For Scott, it's about $30, $40 a week. And that's what I invited everybody to think through. What might God be calling me to do? How might God be calling me to respond to the needs of the hurting and the hungry? How might God be calling us as a family to give up something good, to participate in something great, knowing that we can't do everything, but we can all do something? And we're, you know, I'm going to ask the band to come on up here, and, and uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, play a song. And during this song, this, this, this time of offering and reflection, I just want you to take some time to think, to pray, to ask God, what might He be calling you to do? This is between you and Him. No one's going to give you a phone call. I don't want you to write your name on the pledge. No one's going to have some follow-up conversation with you other than those that you share it with. This is between you and Him. This is an invitation for you to let your light shine, for you to participate in something good. And, and I don't want you to do it reluctantly. I don't want you to do it because the pastor tells you to do it. I don't want you to do it because you feel like you have to. I want you to do it because, I, because you want to, because you were made for this. Because God created you to let your light shine before men so that others would see your good work and glorify and praise your heavenly Father. That's what do something is. And that's the invitation that God has for each one of us. To join the movement. To end poverty forever. I love this phrase, this statement from Mother Teresa. She says this, We cannot do great things only small things with great love. Isn't that awesome? We cannot do great things, only small things with great love. That's what this is. This is a small thing. It's giving up soda pop. But we do that with great love. We do that with great intentionality. We do that with prayer. With prayer. We do that in concert with other people. Then we can do something fantastic. Then poverty changed the world to, to let our light shine before men so that others would see our Heavenly Father, and worship Him. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we're going to take the offering. The offering is just an extension of our worship. This isn't, the offering is not our do-something campaign. And I'm not asking you just to give up the money that you would usually give to contribute to the work, the tithe of the church, in order to do something. That, that's not what this is. Please don't do that. Uh, what I'm asking you to do is to give regularly, to give generously to the work of the church, and in addition to that, fast. Give up something good sacrificed in order to participate in something great. Because when you do that, you will be changed. God will transform you from the inside out. So, so we're going to do our offering. And during that offering, I just want you to spend some time. There's pencils there in the few in front of you. You can write down what you're going to give up. And let God speak to you. And then after that, I'm going to come up again. I'm going to give you an invitation to respond. So let me just pray for us, and then we'll uh, take our, receive our offering. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful uh, for who you are. Uh, you care for us. You care for everyone in the world, particularly the most vulnerable. You sent your son to die in our place, and it's in response to the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf that we worship you with our lips and our lives, with our wallets and our hearts. We respond to the work of Christ by living a life of compassion. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would prompt us, and that we would pay attention to those little promptings in our hearts that, that you give each one of us all the time. 
and that those would increase so that we could live a life of courage, we could live a life of faith, we could live a life of compassion. We commit this morning, this moment to you, and ask that you would speak and do what only you can do. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name.